Hello and welcome to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. I am Matthew Arkin and this other guy who you will see or hear is my brother, Anthony Arkin. And today we are going to talk about 1964's Lady in a Cage. It's the third in our string of home invasion movies. We started with Suddenly, then we went to The Desperate Hours. We're moving up in time into the 60s. Maybe we'll do something from the 70s next. Movie is starring James Kahn, Olivia de Havilland, Jeff Corey, Ann Southern, Scatman Crothers, and Charles Seal, directed by William Grauman. And we're going to talk about it. Stick around. Talking about cocktails that are stylish, movies great or phony, and how Tony should win and Matthew, and Matthew should win and Tony. But in the meantime, Talking about movies. <laughs> 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 wow. That Great about clip. says it. That's the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining. Yeah, that was like, uh, that was my morning, actually. That's the right best there. description of the movie you could come up with. Yeah. <laughs> what's uh, behind, how what, are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm wondering what's behind you. Uh, I don't, there, you have an amazing background. Yes. Um, it's Mr. Fried Egg Eyes from, uh, from um, The Outer Limits, from an episode of The Outer Limits. And uh, it actually does have relevance to today's show. Uh, Guaranteed to make me irresistible. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Fried egg eyes are irresistible. I will, uh, I will discuss its relevance uh, later in the show when we get to trivia. Terrific. All right, yeah. great. But it, it will all become clear and make sense. Well, I doubt that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll try. Yeah, well, nothing I do lately makes much sense, believe, mm -hmm. believe me. Oh, I just... Repaint! Yeah, and that's... Yeah, I need to, definitely. Uh, definitely need to. So how you doing? What's going on in your life? What's going People on? People need to catch up with us. They need to know, they need to know what's going on. They, didn't they, didn't, they certainly didn't hear, come here to hear us talk about movies. That's for sure. No. Why? I... Uh, what can I say? We, uh, Amelia and I have been teaching a lot. Uh, it's you have a, a new class starting, right? I've been seeing advertisements for it all over the Instagram. We started a, a workshop, an on-camera um, kind of scene study-ish workshop called Being on Camera, which is the what we call our, our kind of teaching business. Um, so, yeah, we just started that workshop the uh, day before yesterday. And yesterday we taught our, our audition class. It's got Freeman Studios. It's been a busy time. Also, Amelia's now teaching at HB on mondays so you know it's like a whole new world for us we used to be ne'er-do-wells or i did anyway and now uh we're uh, we're fancy teaching people Some now weird... you're do now you're do wells now we're do wells thank you i'm just a hustler <laughs> don't you know it yeah that's the story of our lives yeah I've got the teaching thing going on too. I started my new. I had an open house for my new class on Tuesday night. Looks like it's going to be full up. I may I, actually be turning people away. Oh, that's great news! I saw the I saw Instagram things about it as well. Yeah. Uh, when does that When does that start for you? Uh, it actually, I'm going to have another open house this coming Tuesday, and then the actual class will start on May second. Okay. Um, and and people are really seem to really be into this vision that I have for what I want it to be. I want it to be. Um, I want it to be more of a, a, a salon than a class. So rather than focusing on, on one thing, I want people to be bringing in what they, what they want to be working on. If you want to be working on your on-camera audition technique, fine. But I'm hoping people and a lot of people expressed interest in doing some deeper dive work into uh, some technique and, and really working on scenes from plays. And, right. You know, wow doing actual acting work rather than how do I get a job work. So you are you, are you hiring teachers right now for that yeah, hiring thing? teachers yeah, okay. for that? Yeah. Because <laughs> I clearly don't know anything about that. No, but my, my feeling has always been that the, the better 
the better you are as an all-around actor, the be- the more you can bring to your actual auditions rather than just learning how to audition well and then not knowing how to do a job when you show up on set. I don't think that's a way to uh, career longevity or depth or breadth. Uh, yeah. So, and, and, you know, Jeff Corey would agree with me because he was a renowned acting teacher. So I understand. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you can tell by his performance <laughs> in this a, movie, it's riveting. which we will get to. It's um, the other news I have to, uh, to say, and I haven't figured out how to make this happen yet in, in real life. I'm trying to figure out uh, how to get a, may, maybe just getting a tattoo on my forehead of the little blue check mark. I want to get the little blue check mark because I am Instagram verified now. Which wow. we... <laughs> <laughs> I've um... got that coveted blue check mark next to my name on Instagram. I'm very proud of myself. Uh, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I thought that was only, I thought that was a Twitter, uh, thing. I didn't know that bled over into other platforms, but it's on Instagram as well. And, uh, it used to mean, uh, that you were, uh, I think it used to mean that you were a person of note or a celebrity. They have clearly changed the, uh, the requirements, uh, and not just because they let me in, but they, I believe they actually have changed the requirements. And really all it means now is that I think that you're, you, you have been verified to be you. So nobody could impersonate you. Uh, nobody is trying to impersonate me. I don't think anybody would ever try to impersonate me. And if somebody was being mistaken for me, I think they would be going out of their way to make it clear that they were not me. I think let's clear this up though. I think that it means that nobody who doesn't work for Instagram could impersonate you i'm sure somebody that works on instagram could impersonate you in a heartbeat yes they probably could they what, what are you uh, afraid of I'm afraid of being identified dad um quick question uh what are you watching lately anything anything uh, notable what am anything i watching good? i'm really not watching a ton of new stuff right now like like as per usual i'm you know because of this podcast and because of uh, Rated P for Paranormal podcast, I end up watching a lot of older movies or classics mm. or things I've seen before that I'm revisiting. Uh, I do that for class, too. Right. You know? And um, and also added to that, like, just throwing gasoline on the fire. Um, you know, I recently read the new Tarantino book, Cinema Speculations, and I I'm kind of a avid listener to his his podcast called video archives which he does with roger avery and roger avery's daughter gala which is a fun really great podcast if you want to nerd out like heavily on this stuff um and so the list of movies that they go through is huge and and so i have like i am i am just kind of plotting my way through just an incredible treasure trove of titles that I've not, I've just not seen in some cases, not even heard of. Um, so that's kind of what I'm doing. I've seen, like, I saw a movie called Joe, um, from the, like 72, I think. Yeah. Um, with Peter Boyle. Yeah. I remember. Uh, Hi mom from Brian De Palma from the early seventies. Um, great movie called Hennessy. I mean, I, I'm now I'm we're cribbing from their podcast. I don't want to do that, but like that, that, oh, that, okay. that podcast is a really, really fun way to get new titles and new stuff to see. So I just haven't been seeing new stuff. How about you? Sounds like a much better podcast than ours. It, I it, it is. tell our listeners, you should go listen to that. Skip ours and go listen to that podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? I uh, mean, I well, don't you know. I'm watching uh, on Netflix this show, Beef, um, which is not a cooking show. Okay. And it's not a, a show about animals. Uh, it's the word beef as in the in the meaning of I have a beef with you. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's pretty spectacular. Uh, Sophia, one of our producers, Sophia... Her very good friend Ali Wong is on it. Ali Wong, who was on um, Paper Girls with Sophia, right, am, I correct, right. am I correct about that, Sophia? I believe. Yeah, well, I, that I sounds familiar to me. Sophia, not I can see Sophia nodding in the green room. 
playing a very different character than she played on Paper Girls, and she's really terrific on it. Um, a wonderful cast in that show, and uh, really interesting creative writing and uh, great performances. So uh, worth watching. Definitely. I'll, check it out. Watching. I'll write that one down. I'll check that um, out. And um, uh, and then the other thing I'm in, I'm trying to wrap my head around trying to get uh, this short film uh, off the ground. Uh, you you read the script. Yeah, you sent me the um, script. And, it, and it, yeah, trying to figure out ways to rewrite it, either rewrite it or shoot a segment of it that will be easier to shoot because there's a lot of locations and stuff in it right now that would make shooting the whole thing as is uh, without some creative uh, poor man's process, et cetera, et cetera, would make it a little daunting. Um, yes. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do to, to keep the story intact and uh or just shoot a part of it to get it going um and then there's also the problem that sophia is not eight years old anymore because i need i need an eight-year-old sophia to act in it well i'm not eight years old anymore either Why yeah, but, but that that the it really hinges a lot of it hinges on the performance of the the eight or nine-year-old daughter in the movie um gotta have somebody uh, yeah, good. well, like I said uh, earlier, you wrote you wrote something incredibly easy to do. Um, absolutely, s uh, snap. Uh, yeah, piece of case. Yeah, just two people in a room talking. Mm -hmm. No production design. No nothing. <laughs> no, no, no night shoots. No, yeah. no working no, kids. Of course, I no, wrote something yeah. that involves an eight-year-old, a car, night shoots in Los Angeles in a moving car. In a moving car. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be... Yeah. It'll be a piece of cake. Um, I love the script. I love it for what it's worth. I think it's great. And I think Thank that it, it would be it would be awesome to shoot it as is. Um, I know that's gonna be a hard hard thing so i know i know why you'd be kind of trying to simplify matters a little bit but you know i think it really works the way it is um david david gregory is asking no gun yeah no there is no gun in the movie that's that's one thing i i tried to make easier for myself she but, is uh, die, 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 die. look at that Look at that. I guess we're being told by our producers that we are almost 15 minutes into the show and it's time to start talking about what we're here to talk about. Lady in a cage. Lady. Lady in a cage. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Lady in a cage, which is about uh, Olivia de Havilland, uh, is a fairly well-to-do woman living... Uh, on a lovely street in uh, is, is it los angeles no it's, it's is it los angeles we're in in this movie well you see surfboard so i'm, I'm yeah. assuming so yeah we're in los angeles she's a well-to-do lady living in a two-story lovely two-story house with her her son who she you get the feeling she has very much uh coddled and and sort of controlled and the morning of the movie he's leaving never to return okay, I, I have to stop though this is this is I, i'm gonna this is a good description but i'm going to stop and start as we go okay because i find it fascinating this is a completely different description than i would have made because you described things in a certain way that already i'm like really it's a nice house really the 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 thing about the relationship between them at the beginning, I thought they were husband and wife, and I think that's yeah, yeah, kind of well, you're that's, supposed that's, to. yeah, they're, they're, it's inappropriate relationship between mother and son. Very inappropriate relationship. Well, in by the fact that at first you meet what you think is a couple with a very young husband and a and a, and a somewhat older wife, and that he that he's leaving, and then not until quite a bit later do you realize that that no, that was her son that left. Ah, okay. All anyway, right. Con please continue. I'll I'll keep describing it badly. I, and you just house. 
and uh, she's stuck in an elevator. The lady till uh, probably Tuesday, she says. I, I, I need somebody with a suitcase to help me out. We, we could do real good, clean out the whole house, probably. That's how, That was the, from our first meeting about this podcast. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Olivia de Havilland had broken her hip a while ago, and she's still on the mend. She's got a cane, and so they've had a, a an elevator installed in the house to take her from the first floor to the second floor. And uh, her son writes a letter: "I'm leaving, never coming back. Goodbye, mom." Leaves it for her. He pretends he's just going away for the weekend. He leaves. It's a heat wave. She's in the elevator. There's a power outage. She's stuck in the Yes, there she is stuck in the elevator. And a bum played by Jeff Corey sees the 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 emergency bell going off. Uh, comes in and investigates, sees lots of stuff he could steal, lots of booze. And then some some very wild bad kids get hip to the idea that there is a house that can be ransacked and and everything goes to hell and she's stuck in the elevator while people are invading her home and stealing <laughs> and maybe gonna kill people add something to this help me here no that's the that is okay that the is fact, uh, i'm just trying to give the factual setup no that is a that's a description of the plot which which I find interesting because any description of a movie like this, as dry as you think it is, ends up slanting it one way or another. Um, well, one the, of the things I found interesting, which we'll get into, is there are there are there are two points of view, two complete in my mind, there were two completely opposing points of view crammed into this movie. It was as if it was as if there were a group of people who made the movie to say one thing about society and another group of people saying, trying to say something else about society. And both of the things they're saying are horrible. Uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I but I, but I don't a hundred percent agree because I, I think that's, I'm, that might be on purpose. Like, I think what they're saying is that there's no, it's a really nihilistic movie. I mean, it's a yeah. really, really dark movie in what it's saying. Yeah. Which it's a lot darker than the tone even of the movie, which is pretty violent and pretty messed up for 1964, particularly. Um, it's still way darker than you think it is on the surface of it, because it really is saying that, that I, I my takeaway from this was that it was saying that we're all completely doomed and we live in hell and the only the only temporary safeguard is to create a fantasy in which you just live in a in a fantasy of being safe but it won't last long. Yeah, but what what I thought was really interesting was that that, that there are two types of people who could come see this movie and take away only one thing from it, right? Mm -hmm. You could go see this movie as a 50s um, a 50s, you know, traditional husband wife image of America go to see this movie and say, see, the youth of today are these nihilistic, dangerous monsters who will destroy the world. And you could go to see this movie as as the youths and say, Look at look at all the old people and how square they are and the way they've destroyed the world and done. This not only stuff. not only that, but but she literally at the end of the movie calls herself a monster for what she did to her own son. Yes. And yeah. and so it's literally you could I mean, it's it's both sides are depicted as completely monstrous. Right, both the youth and the and the establishment. Yeah, there was no like the artists person. and the and the bureaucrats. All are equally corrupt and lying to themselves and not what they think they are. And and it's it's a dark movie. Yeah. There's yeah. only one person in this movie who approaches. Maybe this is going to be a good person, and it's the guy in the pickup truck. Who, who in one scene is in the alley and sees the the um, the alarm bell ringing, and you think, oh, he's going to do something, and the, then the workman who like takes his shirt off, he's having a cigarette, he's yeah, and you're like, thinking, after okay, the job. finally a good yeah. person. 
there's maybe a good person. No, nah, I'm just going to drive away. <laughs> Screw wow. it. Who cares about the alarm? And then he steals something, right? Doesn't he like. I didn't. I don't know. Does he? I don't remember he does, that. He does something horrible. Yeah. Um, it's like everybody's just horrible in this movie. Well, it, 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 no more horrible than something that happens in the opening title sequence, which you've already played. The title sequence is pretty cool. It. And by cool, I didn't mean because there's a dead dog in it, but that's what it looked yeah. like I said. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the titles themselves are really like uh, kind of psych. They're reminiscent of Psycho. They're very jarring, and and the design is really um, really cool. But also, they're intercut with all these real quick shots that end up in these freeze frames of of traffic and people blaring their horns and like kind of weird a weird uh, urban vibe going on here in this yeah. in this area like it it feels like a part of hollywood that used to be kind of fancy but then deteriorated over the years and now is kind of like a place where there are are kind of roving gangs <clears throat> and and a lot of like winos and just kind of litter and trash in the streets and carelessness and the traffic and just like uh, a really bad vibe well what's really one minute slab of the next the front of her house you know we see the front of her house and it's this lovely house theoretically but behind it is a crappy urban out like it's facade and then and then crap and right. ruination and danger right be behind that facade in the yeah alleyway. yeah and she's kept this home very, very uh, fastidiously. It's very yeah. clean, and she's the way that it looks <laughs> yeah. and everything. And slowly, because of these home invaders that come in and trash the place, it's like they bring the streets inside. They bring all of this into the home itself. And uh, it's... Um, My life. I never felt so idiotic in my life. <laughs> <laughs> That's her stuck in the elevator. Yep. You know, what's interesting is that uh, de Havilland took this part when Joan Crawford turned it down. Yeah. And you can see this, like, it makes more sense as a Joan Crawford movie because um, you've seen her in, in movies that we've talked about. Like, you know, it's similar to Baby Jane. It's got similar qualities to... To um, uh, what Hatchet? No, um, the axe murdering movie. That oh we yeah, did. yeah. What was that called? Not Frenzy. Um, oh Sophia's my God! Sophia's going to tell us in yeah. just a moment. Sophia's going to tell us. Hatchet Maybe. for the honeymoon. I forget what it was called. Hatchet. Straight jet. Now. Here we have Olivia de Havilland taking a Joan Crawford role. Like, this is a very Joan Crawfordy kind of role from that period, right? So, yes. she, so de Havilland yeah. takes it. And de Havilland, I, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody who wasn't really cut out for a job do, like, commit and swing as hard as, as de Havilland does over something that's arguably not apart for her. No, not one day our god Kilowatt left us. Could best scene and for me the best scene of the movie. They just showed it. <laughs> Thank you, Leah. Um I, I have a list of favorite things. That scene to me just I had to stop the movie and like run around the apartment for a second because it freaked me out so much. <laughs> our great god Kilowatt. Yes. She's a so the whole conceit of the movie, she's a poet, right? This woman that lives in this house who's broken her hip and has an elevator currently installed so she can get up and down these big flights of stairs in the apart in this mansion. She's also a poet and and an artist of some kind, because she has like an art studio or, yeah. or a collection of stuff you think she may have made, and she's a poet. Now how how a poet got the money to buy that place at any time in, in uh, Hollywood is interesting. I haven't written anything but letters in so long. Maybe she only thinks she's a poet because, in fact, 
we learn later as the movie goes on, she's not a completely reliable narrator. There's something yeah. a little wrong with her. So anyway, she she gets locked in this elevator, which is, uh, you know, just between two floors. It's not very high. It's like, you know, 15 feet up or something. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps we can go up together in the fall. I should be through with this wretched thing by then. And so you got this 127 hours part of the movie where she's killing time or trying to figure out what to do while she's waiting for somebody to come rescue her. And she starts getting delirious and she recites her own poetry. And they have her do a VO of the poem. She's recorded in a studio, but they, you see her thinking her poem. And Olivia de Havilland makes all the faces of the, of the, of the emotions in the poem while the VO is going on. But lo, one day our god Kilowatt left us. Could... When I say faces, I mean some faces. <laughs> yeah, there's some faces. There are some faces <laughs> going on. I never felt so idiotic in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, she had also, this was uh, another uh, movie that she had um, um, taken a role from, wow. not... Not taking the role from Joan Crawford, but assumed the role after Joan Crawford turned it down, which was Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Right, right, that's correct. Yeah. So Yeah, she she was um she'd been a huge, huge star and then I think uh was like a lot of women who had been stars in the forties and were looking for stuff to do in the fifties and the sixties, they were taking these you know, these kind of exploitation movies, really. Um you know, they were one, they were, they were like not that far removed from, you know, uh, Dennis Hopper biker movies and, and, you know, I mean, before Easy Rider, like, why? Corman movies. But they were, they had this, they had more money and they had a, a classy star, which attracted people like Jeff Corwin. And then people like, you know, we got to take a moment to talk about the other star of this movie, Marlon Brando. Yeah. They intercut Marlon Brando's outtakes from the wild one into this movie and created a different character. I mean, it's almost like, yeah, an un, an uncredited performance by Marlon yeah. Brando. <laughs> I mean, if you ever wonder what the impact that Brando had, you know, years after Streetcar, you still have young actors just flat out imitating everything he did. In the most fetishistic way, it's incredible. So James Caan, yeah. this is his first credited screen role. I think it's only maybe yeah. his second time in a movie, and he wasn't even credited the first time. And it's a big part. Like, they gave him a lot to do. And um, you can see him, I think, struggling with this idea of having to play a bad guy. Yeah. He seems that it's really a lot of work to have to play such a bad guy. Yeah. And... um and basically, he uh, he just said, I'm just going to imitate Marlon Brando. And you can see this is almost his audition to play Marlon Brando's son in The Godfather. It kind of, yes, it kind of is. I mean, not that this character is anything like Sonny, but, if you, but you would look at this and go, oh, that's a guy who could be Brando's son. Truly. Clearly. Especially when he puts the stocking over his face, which is my single favorite image from the movie. Yeah. And I'd like to, I didn't have time to research, but I feel like this is an early depiction of a nylon stocking mask, like robbery. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd, if I'd seen, uh, you know, that in earlier times, because maybe nylons were fairly new at that time you couldn't oh, my... it's a crazy movie now that it's is crazy. some actor studio group theater shit going on there <laughs> yeah and that's some great cinematography by um by do you know who who lee garms who was very very famous but also shot the desperate hours 10 oh, years before this which we loved uh, yeah. can see the same like really hugely brightly lit sets deep focus like very very little shadow work it's really like incredibly bright 
Oh my god. Um and really, really, I think, uh, efficiently and well done. Well edited, you know, this guy Leon Barsha, who cut Lonely Are the Brave and Sudden Fear with Joan Crawford, did a great job. And I I just, you know, I I kind of this is kind of one of my favorite kind of movies to discover you know i'd seen it before but i i'd you know i, I took it more seriously this time because we had to talk about it and um i was it, it's a huge surprise right this movie yeah yeah it was a huge surprise i mean the plot itself is very mon mundane yeah um there, there's nothing particularly compelling about the plot or or structure of the film it's all the point of view that makes it fa fascinating. Um, yeah. Both for its time and, and historically, you know, this movie I think could only have been made when it was made at that particular crux of time, right before, right before, you know, a couple of years before summer of love and the, and the, and the hippie stuff to, you know, and there's actually, there's a poem I would like to read that I found that I think speaks a little bit to what this movie is about. Um, if you'll indulge me to read a poem for a second. I think as... <laughs> and it's not a poem, it's not a poem written by her, but this is a poem that I found uh, written by uh, Gregory Corso. Um, right, beatnik poet. Uh, yeah, beatnik poet. And the poem goes like this. We're going to kill you, Pop, all of you, you and the pig and the human being. A joke, right? Well, why? What have we done? Why us? What have we done? You're here. You're here, Pop. That's what you done. You're here, Pop. That's what you done. That's what we all have done. We're here. Stone Age, here I come. Hustle, baby, hustle. And that poem, oh, wait a second. That's not a poem by Gregory Corso. That's dialogue from the movie. <laughs> That's actually dialogue from the movie. But it reads like a beat poem. Mm -hmm. And so much of the movie is like that. It's this. Uh, my name is Randall Simpson O'Connell. Now, it's uh, too bad that you're not going to live to identify me. Uh. <coughs> oh, that was nice. The burping was nice. I like the burping in this. More burps. The burping, pardon me, I'm having a coughing fit. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> All right, I'm going to say Alouette Jean-Tia. To me. Are you okay now? Yeah. Are you praying at my door? I'm having allergies that flare up once in a while because it's like seasonal. And it, thank you so much. Thank you, Millie. Just handed me some water. Steals Sometimes it feels like a gnat flies, just hits your trachea, and you're like, what? Wow. Even Jules Rubin says that the poem reminds him of Eddie Murphy, C-I-L-L, -L, my landlord. <laughs> I agree with that whole beatnik. Uh, that was a really well stated thing you just did. That that it is like a Gregory Corso poem, and and it really makes me like this movie even more. I don't think it really ever got respect when it came out. But you also made another interesting point about you know the plot is really not the point but it's a great script you know yeah. it's not it's not about plot at all it really no. isn't but it's a great script with really interesting kind of modern problematic ways of dealing with uh, these characters and um it's a perfect example of of a director i think uh putting their stamp on something or or a team anyway lee garms and walter Grumman and the writer who we also have to mention luther davis the producer and writer you know what else he he wrote 
What? Daughter of the Mind. Daughter of the Mind. Mom okay. of show uh, Barbara from uh, our our Mom's Corner segment um, <clears throat> did a a uh, I think it was a made for TV movie. Yeah, called Daughter of the Mind, uh, written by Luther Davis, uh, back in the sixties. Wow. Um, so, Mom, if you're listening, uh, type in any any tidbits about uh, Luther Davis that you might have if you met him. Wow. Um, so. Mom's Corner. Mom's Corner. Mom's Corner. Um, so, yeah, she did this. Uh, th- I think she played a Russian spy on that show. Yes, she did. Very serious business on that show with her. Not uh, not uh, something she was normally cast as. No. No, she's normally cast as the, the, nice, ge- the nice girl. Although in uh, Man on the Moon Marigold, she was uh, not the nice girl. I, I don't remember I that. I got to see that. Yeah, you do have to see it. She's fantastic. Yeah. 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 So, I th- anyway, I- let me just I'm gonna go backtrack and go to this one point that I think just like, you know, like uh, Sam Peckinpah, this movie starts with an image of a child doing something that is so weird and upsetting that it set the tone for the whole rest of the movie to me. Yep. And it's a shot... It- Ilya already showed this. This child is rolling her roller skate up the leg of a of what looks like a dead man at first. He's not. He's yeah. he's like a collapsed kind of wino drunk in the street, and he's his leg is bare. His his pant leg is torn up and she's just kind of rolling her roller skate. She's standing there looking at him and just rolling it up and down his bleeding leg. And and then they cut to her looking at him and she's got this kind of like cold, dead stare, like quizzical, like Michael Myers and Halloween, like just looking at this guy collapsed in the street. That's one of the weirdest shots i've ever seen that's one of the weirdest things i've ever seen in a movie and this this happens in the title sequence yeah this is like it's just a freeze frame like a weird vignette that they show in the title sequence to establish this community this place that they live it's the weirdest town you've ever seen depicted in a movie yeah and as our producers i was saying did it take place in la our producers are letting us know that it's set in an unnamed city but it was shot in la yeah, clearly shot in L.A., um, but I'm I'm thinking that it has to be L.A. San Diego because there's literally a surfboard appears like 19 times in this movie. Yeah, so there was someone's going to the beach, and it, it's yeah. so uh, maybe it takes place in Pasadena. You know, yeah, not a lot of surfboards in in Minnesota at the time. But it also is clearly a big city. She's like, it's not a little suburban area. She's pretending it is. She has yeah. a little picket fence, little house, but it's clearly now, you know, like in the movie Up, that animated movie. Yeah. This would be a good double bill, like with Up, like, because I feel like that's the same movie, but Up is a happier version of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much stuff that they do with imagery and juxtaposition of of images and juxtaposition of sound. Um <laughs> Yeah, that shot of the wino getting killed behind the chair uh, when Jeff Corey gets killed. Um, but th- immediately after that, we have the church bells ringing. Yeah. yeah. Um, then the the title sequence by a company called TriArts, which was such a spectacular title sequence that I looked up TriArts. Did you look them up on IMDb? And I did see what did. they've done. But I love this title sequence. Yeah, I looked them up on IMDb, and they have done. They did the titles for um, uh, Lady in a Cage. <laughs> That's it. 
That's it. It's the only place they appear is title sequence, Lady in a Cage. And it, and it just seemed such an iconic new kind of title sequence that I thought this must be, this must have been like this company that just did all kinds of, nope, this was it. No. I mean, that probably means they, they, you know, they produced that part of it, but that, but probably Walter Grauman, the director, probably just directed it. You know, right. I mean, I mean, so, um, you know, it, the interesting thing about like comparing it to, to Psycho, which has an, uh, you know, a very much simpler title sequence with no imagery in it, except that the titles are moving like this in the same way. Right. That was produced and directed by Saul Bass and Hitchcock literally like he just gave that to Saul Bass to do. You know, he designed Saul Bass designed all of that. He's very famous for having designed that, along with apparently directing the shower sequence. But there, there's arguments about that for sure. But this guy, Saul Bass, with a design background, was very famous. And I think this movie's kind of riffing on his stuff, but does a brilliant job of it. And it's probably this guy, Grauman. Yeah. Who, then the, the director did no other movies of note particularly except he directed every TV show in the history of like ever you know Walter Grauman comes from Twilight Zone Murder She Wrote Columbo Trapper John Barnaby Jones Streets of San Francisco he did Naked City wow he did Peter Gunn episodes this guy wow well so also Charles Seal who plays Mr. Paul the the fence um, if, if you look him up he was on ev everything Right. Um and and also Ann Southern who plays oh Sage God. um was Can on we... every she actually had her own show called the Ann Southern show but you know what she, you know what else she was? What, what what tell us. She was the voice of my mother in my mother the car. <laughs> of your mother and mother? No, no, of of the car, the mother. Okay. My no, she was not the voice of my mother. But in the show, My Mother, the Car, she was the voice of the car of um, Amazing. Uh, I, Jerry Van Dyke's mom. I would love to just stop for a second in honor of her because uh, I was writing a list of things that really make this movie worth, like why it's worth watching. What, like, what are the bullet points that make this movie worth watching? If you only have two seconds to talk to somebody about it. And... I think, you know, her and Jeff Corey are legit two real reasons that this movie is is extraordinary. <laughs> like, um, their performances are so good. And she, she was amazing in this movie, I thought. Yeah. I thought she was great. She's crazy good. Like, movie star energy uh, from the get-go. Fantastic. And she was a huge, huge movie star. She'd been in so many things from, like, what, since, like, 1927 or something. Yeah, it's crazy. Crazy. Shit. crazy what a long career she had. I'm just a hustler! <laughs> Melodrama just on yeah. on a high on high alert. Yeah. Um, Rafael Campos uh, does not... Uh, Oh, speaking of, of what I may have missed, what is going on behind Matthew is everyone else. I'm going to uh, duck out so people watching on video can see the, the picture behind This is me. a little Easter egg that Matthew's developed here for yeah. us. And if you're listening on the podcast, if you just Google the phrase um, Outer Limits Fried Egg Eyes, you'll see the, a photograph of the image that's behind me. Repaint! Uh, <laughs> the reason I have that image, it's a bit of trivia, is that at the end of the movie, when James Caan gets stabbed in the eyes uh, with the wires that, that um, I don't want to be too risque, but the damn wires... Damn you, damn you! That I think, uh, yeah, anyway, that she takes out of her bosom... Um, they used a combination of raw egg over easy eggs and paint to do the mush on his eyes after he's been stabbed in the eyes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a powerful sequence, 
not particularly, it's not the makeup that you walk away remembering, however. No. No, but the, the moment of get, the head getting run over by the car. That was brilliant. Beautiful. That was and actually the sound brilliant. effect. I want to know how they did the sound effect. What 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 the Foley what, artist did. What kind of melon they bought at the store. <laughs> yeah, because there is, there is a melon splat yeah. sound when his head gets run over that that is Yeah. I mean this is a whole this 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 movie, you know, you were talking about what it's about, and I think we did a pretty good job of talking about the things that it's about. Um but it's also about violence, just flat out uh, almost as much as any movie i've seen it's really <laughs> that w- that was <laughs> that was the first break i didn't understand um <laughs> i don't want to talk about violence and have mom's corner come up ever again <laughs> um <laughs> well it's because steven jules rubin has has asked that that mom's corner just come up at random times oh okay all right yeah. well that still stands you i like still would like that, that not to be a random did you leave me a note <laughs> as, yeah, as, I, that's, as I that's start more. to talk about violent beatings yeah um, no, that's for our mom sweetly saying did you leave me a note yes exactly <laughs> so uh yeah it's so violent I, honestly like she she's the, the, okay i this is 1964 I, i'm 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 having trouble remembering movies that weren't like um Herschel Gordon Lewis <laughs> that were this violent. Um, there are beatings. The beating that Jeff Corwin takes when James Conn beats him up. They're all in the house. They've all kind of broken in at the same time. They follow Jeff Corwin in. Who's Jeff Corwin's kind of a homeless guy. And James Conn beats him. Like, talk about a beating like, like Sonny Corleone. I mean, he destroys this guy. You think he really kills him. And it's all done in wide shots, and it's pretty distressing. And I was like, "This is this is one of the most. This is really rough going to watch this. Um, there were beatings like everybody gets beaten. I mean, the little the guy I call Night Stalker, who's who's um, one of the one of the gang members, is out of his." mind who's like clearly on stuff and out of his Raphael Campos yeah he 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 gets beaten by Jennifer Billingsley and Billingsley gets beaten by Khan <laughs> yeah there are I mean stab there's multiple stabbings yeah There's there's eye stabbings twice. There's there's multiple head traumas and there's violent falling. I mean, this movie is just off the chain violent. And um, and I don't mind that, but really, I mean, I think it's just it it makes its point. It's it didn't feel gratuitous, but holy hell, was I surprised by that. Yeah, no, a lot of violence, uh, and and some weird sexual stuff too. You when think? She's you think the so? Ba- it's slightly weird sexual stuff when she's in the bathtub and and Khan makes uh, Rafael Campos look at her naked in the bathtub and no, and yeah, says go yeah. on, get in with her. You want to get in with her? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, and then she puts then, makeup on his face, and yeah. they drown him, and they yeah. drown him. And then when she starts talking about that they're going to get electrocuted for doing the murder and she starts talking about the hot, hot seat and she gets off on it. It's, she it's gets a, a sexual charge out of thinking about one minute slob of the next. And that whole relationship between Jeff Corwin and, you know, Ann Southern is like he is out of control trying to molest her through the entire movie. She's, you know, having none of it, of course, but yeah, that's weird. And then it all, it is all kind of centered around this weird relationship, this very kind of like Hitchcock relationship in a way between the mother and the son. Right. Guaranteed to make me irresistible. <laughs> and that's clearly, but when you learn that that's her, her son, you actually kind of get a little bit sick to your stomach, you know, like it actually got me a little bit not like it was it was a, a really effective turn in the movie to to when they you suddenly realize that this behavior that looked like a like a bad relationship between a a, 
a husband and wife is in fact a bad relationship between a a, a mother and son. Mother and son, yeah, it's, creepy, it's really a creepy, icky, icky feeling. What about any any uh, dialogue that's your favorite stuff? Um, I just I... so... <laughs> oh, Um, I I like the script overall. I had nothing. There was only one kind of line that that really that I wrote down, but it was just that the way that he keeps saying, "Come look at the human." Yeah. Um, the way the he kind cage. of objectifies De Havilland when she's in the cage, and he just ta he calls her the human a lot, which I thought was really weird. Yeah. Um, he says, "We're gonna kill you, the pig, and the human being." Yeah. No, this is this movie is years before Manson, which is which is a little weird because it feels like it's a response to Manson. And it's it's years before it. In fact, it's years before hippies. This is like beatniks. That's the whatever, you know, kind of bridge between beatniks and the kind of violent, weirder hippie movement. Um, but, you know, this is the, there, there was a lot of very creepy Manson-y parts of this, too. There, yeah. Great shot of his head under the under it's the really tire. creepy, really um, creepy. I um, loved uh, when she says to um, Khan when he talks about that he was raised in a care home, you know, in a, in a, oh, as a ward of the state. Um, You're one of the many bits of offal produced by the welfare state. You're what so many of my tax dollars go to the care and feeding of. And it, it's such a, a a horrible, uncomfortable statement of the two halves of this movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The ugh, creepy, creepy feeling. And, um, and then earlier she says, armament stock seems such a terrible way to make money, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And yet she's a poet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, this movie's angry at a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> this is I read angry. an article about blood sugar and hot days. Orange juice is highly recommended. Yeah, very angry movie. Um, nobody gets away unscathed in this movie. No, no one is. Uh, no one is innocent here. No. Um. <laughs> and and but what interestingly, unlike other movies that have a the villain for instance like Khan who talks about being the ward of a state I mean kind of the way that Sinatra does and suddenly you mm -hmm. know he talks about his a similar upbringing suddenly yeah. 10 years prior to this decides to lean into the humanity so that for a moment you kind of actually have some understanding of Sinatra right that that story actually makes you kind of go oh wow this is complicated this doesn't have that viewpoint. This movie, it doesn't help you understand James Caan. This, this, it, his behavior is so outside of a reaction to that upbringing. You know, it's, it, it, it it's really, um, yeah, it's a really creepy movie. There's, there's hints that some stuff, uh, like that her behavior comes from drugs too. You know, there's the her getting high. There, there, there's that is thrown in there. There's also this weird moment where James Caan gets, he seems almost sort of sympathetic to, to Olivia de Havilland's plight, like to have some sympathy for her in a weird moment. Uh, when he's in the elevator with her. Yeah. Um, but it goes away quickly and it isn't quite explained. Um, she is die, die. Well, she, you know, I think it's based on the fact that you know he didn't have a mother, and she has an overabundance of of kind of weird mother energy, right? right? But she ruined her son too and drove him well, away. That, but so yeah. it's like a little ballet of that of, of that relationship in the elevator. Yeah, it's, it's really all weird. And again, like the fact that they're that not to be, not to, you know not to be offensive in any way, there are multiple shots of, of Olivia de Havilland's like heaving bosom and she's sweating and it's very kind of weirdly sensual and stuff, but her 
her breasts are like prominently in this movie. Yeah, and very then much. When so. when she pulls the weapons out of her brazier, essentially, you're like, yeah. oh my god, that's it's pretty pointed, man. Yeah, you know, there's a great actor in this movie who we haven't mentioned, Scatman Crothers. That's it. All I mean, yeah. Who makes you happier than seeing Scatman in any whenever ever he pops anything. up? Anything, anytime you see him, you're happy. And he can't help but even he playing a like a, a kind of a thuggish guy, like a yeah. like a like a uh, a tough guy criminal in this. Like he's yeah. still a sweetheart. He doesn't look like, like a bad him. guy. Yeah. yeah. You wanna you wanna hang out. Yeah. <laughs> there was actually a really interesting, weird silent scene in the pawn shop, that one in the middle where they Khan's been beaten by some other thug and and there's just silence in there as the pawn shop dealers going over this stuff. No one's yeah. talking at all. Really creepy. Yeah. So uh, you you had a double feature with this already. Which was, uh... That's a hell of a fall. That's and a I, I fall. didn't have my, that was not my double bill. I had that. Your... What I said earlier was just a curiosity, but I have one that I'm going to go to bat for. Okay. Do you want me to okay. say it now? I'm ready. Hey, yeah. <laughs> All right. I want to double. I want to double bill this with the glass menagerie. What? 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 Oh, because of the mother character, the mother, the controlling mother character, who controls okay. through too much abundance of love and overcaring and stuff. Right. Right. And so, also a similar uh, thing, I, where just the world, their world is smashed in a similar way that this right. is smashed. So by doing by overmothering, you either create a great playwright or a juvenile delinquent who goes on a <laughs> rampage. Something like that. Um, those are the two the two yeah. options. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I like that's great. That's terrific. What's yours? Uh, mine uh, maybe too obvious. Clockwork Orange. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, <laughs> there are shots directly from this in Clark yeah. Orange and a, a similar um, a similar uh, portrayal of the world where there is just no good the, yeah the both all sides are wrong everybody's yeah. everything's bad yeah. and it's hopeless the interesting there, there's uh, there's a um, a sequence in this movie or, or a, a moment in this movie that reminded me of a moment in the series uh, The Night Agent, which is on uh, Netflix now that Adam directed Our a lot of show, of. yeah. Um, and I don't know if you'd had a chance to watch that yet, but there's a moment in in this movie where the, the horrible young uh, woman, uh, Billingsley, uh, starts talking to James Conn about maybe we could have a baby and, you know, go have a normal, nice, you know, that the horrible murdering juvenile delinquent has a dream of an idyllic suburban life with kid married with kids. And there's that same moment in the night agent between the two horrible sadistic assassins. Mm. Um, where That's where interesting. The, that's yeah, really, where, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause it, it has the effect of, of, um, yeah. It diminishes the dream to have it too. It doesn't just make them creepier. It also makes you realize that anybody can have that American dream. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't make you a good person because you want to no. picket fence. No. Yeah. No. Um. And I I cast us as as uh. Uh, Miss- yeah, I, I told you, George L. Brady Jr. Ellis Beluckman. That's my mother, German. Oh, Elliot, say it ain't so. <laughs> That's who he thinks. <clears throat> I cast us as Mr. Paul and Mr. Paul's assistant. Either way, we could we could That's do it a, in rep. And I'm Scatman Crothers, oh. and you are the pawn shop dealer, man. That's oh, yeah? how I had it. Yeah. Oh, okay. I said we could we could do it in rep and in one performance. You know what? No, as a direct as the director in my version, uh, you you're have- Scatman Crothers. You're too you 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 have too much moral fiber to play Scatman Crothers because this guy is very he has a very he's you know he, what's interesting about that character is that he doesn't really have lines but he does look at each customer in a different way and he looks at their goods in a different way and he you can see clearly that he he sees through 
these bad guys and he doesn't like the way that they've, you know, that they've gone about their business, but he'll take it anyway. So that would be me. Okay. Yeah. And Stephen Jules Rubin, you know, says that he has always, (laughs) always compared you to Scatman Crothers. I still want to, I know they've cast, they have offered the role to Scatman, but I want a screen test for it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's all I'm asking. Did you, did you recast it? I'm proud of my, I'm proud of my recast. Okay. Did you recast? Is it a recast from the past? Yes, I did a recast. Um, what, what what is your recast? My recast is uh, the mother is Patricia Clarkson. Oh, good, good. Okay, I did as if we were doing a real remake of this. Movie. Uh, I gotcha. No, right away. Patricia Clarkson. Great idea. Uh, Ansel Elgort as James Caan. Okay, I Guy can see Baby that. No, I, I I can see that. I know where you're going. Good. Margot Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> she's gonna turn it down though she's played too many parts like this already i think yeah. after you but know she'd be good. suicide she'd squad be good. but she'd be great I'm Atticus... a hustler. <laughs> no. atticus schaefer from the middle as the crazy as the crazy uh third as night stalker yeah i don't know who you're talking about uh he's he's an odd little well, I don't know what middle. What is middle? Don't the make, middle you don't have with, to make fun uh, of him. For me, TV, I didn't. <laughs> a, TV, a TV series. A okay. TV series called The Middle. Oh, TV. Um, TV. What is this thing you call television? And Jeff Corey. And this mm-hmm. is the one I am most proud of. I want to see Willem Dafoe play that role. I really want to Big see Big win Willem there. Dafoe you. you that that's a great idea. That's a great <laughs> idea. He can use parts of Lighthouse, yeah. Parts of uh, parts of Wild at Heart. That's great. Yeah. He's perfect. He would tear for that. it up. He would totally tear it up. All right, I love it. Um, I I I love it almost as much as my own list. Um, so I'm doing a recast from the past, but I'm gonna do a special recast. Uh, a recast made up entirely of um, Canadian television. Uh, actors get out of town so as as cornelia hilliard the de havilland part i want to cast andrea martin (laughs) oh my god i want to cast as sade as ann southern's part i want to cast Catherine o'hara okay (laughs) um i want to cast um rick moranis as the son Malcolm Hilliard, who leaves in the beginning. All right. And then we're going to swing over to some kids in the hall. We're going to have Mark McKinney play the James Conn part. Oh, my God. We're going to have Scott Thompson play the Night Stalker, who was played by Raphael Campos in the movie. And uh, and, uh, as Jennifer Billingley's part, Elaine, we're going to cast Dave Foley. Um, oh, brilliant! That's brilliant. The only remaining character, of course, is the uh, is, is the uh, Jeff Corey part, or the Corwin part. The Corwin or Corey? Jeff uh, Corey. 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 Uh, Got to bring in like Don Amici, because in the late seventies he was still around, and oh, similarly from a different generation. So let's bring him in. Yeah. So yeah. that's my that's my SCTV slash Kids in the Hall recast. Another guy I'd like, who we could see from Canadian TV playing the James Conn role is, I don't know his name, but the lead in Letter Kenny. <laughs> oh, that guy's great. Yeah, yeah, he could do that too. Yeah. But Mark McKin- when Mark McKinney uh, plays evil characters, it's one of the, for me, it's one of the funniest things uh, on television. He plays oh, really God. great evil characters. What about uh, Don... Uh... Uh, Don, well, I'm forgetting his full name. Johnson. Father, Father Guido Sarducci as as the uh, oh, uh, <laughs> as the yeah. Jeff Corey part. <laughs> now I can't remember his act. Now you've I've caught it from you. Somebody Don help us. No, Don De- not. Uh, not uh, uh, Don Novello. Not Don. <laughs> Father. That would be good. 
All right. Well, I think we've uh, I think we've covered uh, this. We we need to do one more for the quartet of home invasion movies. <laughs> no, we did. They were both the fifties. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly was the fifties. This is the six. This was the sixties. And uh, um, desperate hours was the fifties also. Yeah. So we uh, we could do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. Um, Panic Room? Or is that too... Panic Room is... is... She is... Uh, maybe we should just... Fi maybe we shouldn't do this on, you know, on the show. Not on the show. Okay, we'll we're going to say... Why? Somebody has a recommendation right now that they type in. Yeah. Which we would Go consider. ahead and email, email us. Yeah. Tell us so what you weird. want us to do for our fourth movie. Um, so that was it. A uh, great time talking about uh, Lady in a Cage. I'm really glad you liked it. I was really struck by this movie. And, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm glad you dug it. No, it's one I'm going to recommend, and we will see you all next week. Elia, take us on out. Talking about cocktails that are stylish, movies great or phony, Tony should win, and Matthew, and Matthew should win, and Tony. But in the meantime, talking about film in the meantime, the Arkin Brothers talk about movies. You've been listening to the Arkin Brothers Talk About Movies. That's my brother, Matthew Arkin. And that's my brother, Anthony Arkin. And we are interesting, irreverent, and irrelevant. But you can follow us on Instagram anyway. You can also subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch. And you can do it all on our website. Just follow the link on your podcast app. Or if you really want to stalk us, head over to ArkinBros.com. You'll learn more about us than anyone would ever want to know.